<coughs> Podcast Network Asia. What we're here is to remind everyone about their responsibility, about accountability, about practices. Don't do unto others what you don't want to be done unto you. That's why with, with the emerging uh, emergence of so many technologies now, the Clarion Call is uh, really to promote accountability, compliance, and the practice of ethics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of My Digital Impact. This is Patrick Manessis, Chief Data and Analytics Officer at MDI Technologies and host of this series, We Built the City, Reimagining Cities for a Smarter Future. You're listening to My Digital Impact. My Digital Impact, My Digital Impact is a podcast from MDI Novari Technologies. Discover one of the most awesome and coolest places on earth to work in. Discover MDI Novare. We can say that we're fun, that we're cool. Whoever says they're cool is not really cool. That we have a ping pong table in our office. But we don't. If we are different, that's who we are. That's what we are. Different. In our eyes, being different is a good thing. Everyone is an original. It means I'm unique. It's my individuality, and you respect that. It's me doing me. We are different. But in MDI Novare, here, we all feel the same. We complement each other's differences. Our differences unite us and make us whole. Our differences bring us all together on equal footing. A common ground. Uneven slate. Clearing the way for a blank canvas that we can all work on together. As a team. With a common goal. We are proud and loud lovers for what we do. Working together, inspired to create change and impact. We are passionate and fierce about what we could be, ready to charge forward, undaunted by impossibilities. We step up to the plate. We are recognized for our victories. We are applauded for our wins. In MDI Navarre, we celebrate you. We celebrate me. We celebrate, celebrate us. us. Come, Come join us. us. Be MDI Navarre. Be different. At MDI Novare, be different, be us. You're listening to My Digital Impact. My Digital Impact. Gosh, I am so excited about today. Uh, we have such a wonderful guest. Our guest today is probably at the core central activities and planning and policies for information and communications technology here in the Philippines. It's a heavily utilized area by most Filipinos, especially now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Data reportal shows an increase of 4.2 million internet users in the Philippines between 2020 and 2021, spending an average of about four hours surfing the web. Well, me personally, I probably do more than four hours. <laughs> but at the core of this, all this digital usage is a problem. It's the misuse of information. And as we'll talk a little bit about today, living in the new digital life, there's this idea of digital surveillance and digital surveillance capitalism. Analysts are actually saying that 38.2% of internet users worry about their personal information being mined by corporations or worse, potential attacks of hackers. This is why today I'm so excited. We have Mon Laboro, Privacy Commissioner and Chairman of NPC or the National Privacy Commission of the Philippines an agency that was set up by the Data Privacy Act of 2012 to ensure that data protection of Filipino people remains competitive, knowledge-based, and highly innovative, making sure we, the Philippines, are set to make sure we can innovate as a nation. Now, Mon is a seasoned ICT convergence and communications professional. He's worked in public administration. He's been involved in governance for ICT for years. He was the former secretary, assistant secretary of the Department of Science and Technology for Climate Change, Adaptation, and Disaster Risk Reduction, and simultaneously the OIC Director of Science and Technology Information Institute, the country's leading science and technology institute. Gosh, such a mouthful. Without further ado, let's all welcome Commissioner Lon Laboro of the NPC. Hello, Commissioner. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? 
Uh, well, uh, hello, Patrick, and hello to everyone uh, tuned in. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to uh, guest here in your show. Welcome to the podcast. So, Commissioner, how are you doing today? <laughs> Patrick, I'm back to my normal pace. That means reporting to work daily. Uh, although the new normal here in the office is uh, marked by, uh, well, of course, uh, we have to reduce the uh, um, the personnel that are reporting back to work. Uh, we are on a uh, uh, work-from-home uh, operation. But uh, slowly but surely, we're trying uh, again to uh, get back to the uh, normal way of uh, conducting office. But uh, me personally, yes, I've been reporting back to work uh, on a daily uh, basis and attending uh, to my function as the head of the National Privacy Commission. Well, I'm sure the NPC has had no break at all during this pandemic and that you've kept yourself quite busy. Please do make sure you're keeping safe as you head back into the office. Can you maybe help our audience today, Commissioner, understand the scope of your role as the NPC chairman? Can you demystify it for us a little bit? Well, as a uh, as the head of an agency, I'm the well, you know, I'm I'm thinking of a uh, of uh, like in the private sector, you have a CEO. You know, I'm also the CEO of my own agency here, uh, the National Privacy Commission. I'm head of agency, but we're also in a commission. I work with two deputies um, uh, in in the commission. So basically, uh, we are we have two main groupings here in the National Privacy Commission. We have the office of the Privacy Commission, uh, Commissioner, where I work with two deputies, and then uh, the larger group will be the Secretariat, and we have a new Executive Director helming that uh, big uh, big group. So as you can see now, the, the Commission's work is uh, cut out as uh, we have an adjudication uh, uh, mandate, so we, we adjudicate uh, cases and hear them out, and, uh, but largely we also perform a, a leadership role in terms of coming up with the right policies, providing advice, information and guidance, engaging in dialogue with our stakeholders and setting up standards and support generally to the public. And that's where the large part of the work of the NPC actually, um, the mandate uh, is being implemented. So we are here to protect, we have a two-pronged mandate, Patrick. First is to protect uh, the rights of uh, data subjects, the rights of citizens like uh, all of you guys. And But second, and yeah, I must really emphasize this, uh, Patrick, that uh, our job is also to ensure this free flow of information. So imagine the balance uh, that we have to strike every time we, uh, we conduct ourselves, balancing the rights of individuals, at the same time making sure that uh, companies like your company and other innovative companies in the Philippines and even abroad gets to use data in a responsible way, in an accountable way, so that it can be trusted, so that more and more people will be engaged with the new technologies and eventually the, of course, the ambition is for this country to develop fully to benefit all its citizens. That's, so that's incredible. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so, that's, you know, if you, you really peel that back for the audience who's listening in to Commissioner, gosh, there's so much there and I can't wait to peel right. you know, some of that. Yes, yeah, because Patrick, all this time, I mean, and we must, uh, I must tell everyone they hear that uh, although the NPC, as you mentioned, we were just uh, uh, created uh, five years ago. We are a very nascent agency. Uh, probably were the Benjamins in government, uh, along with some few agencies that have been newly, newly minted. Uh, we, we are still a nascent agency taking baby steps, but, uh, you know, and really my, my, my job is to be brief and clear, provide clarity with what uh, the NPC does and, uh, and uh, the importance now of privacy, a very good introduction you made, but still really to, uh, to demystify it, but, but more importantly, to clarify that privacy is not about secrecy. It's not about hiding something. Uh, hiding is something that you don't want to be exposed to the public, but it's really about establishing trust in, in, the, in the new society, in the digital society that we're living in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this new digital life that we all have that we didn't have a decade ago, 
is so important to understand how we can live in it in a very safe way. For those in the audience who are listening in, if you haven't visited the NPC website, it's privacy.gov.ph. I highly recommend you look at it because there's so much great content there. One of the things that uh, I really can't wait to ask the commissioner is a lot of the innovation, a lot of the policies they're driving is at the forefront of making sure that the Philippines is very well positioned at a digital level on the global spectrum so that our citizens can take advantage of it. And there's a few areas that we can talk about. So commissioner, let's get into the one that I talked a little bit about earlier. This whole idea about surveillance capitalism, right? Let me share a story with you to provide some context for our audience. Before I joined MDI and moved here to the Philippines, I was working in the United States for an automobile company. And I was one of the leaders driving the new data era, the new data economy. And as a car company, one of the things we said outright was, well, we should be making money off of the data we're generating. We have these cars that could self-drive themselves in the very near future. And one of our cars could capture so much data about things like, guess what? Weather. Appropriate example for today where it's raining very hard in the Philippines, right? Um, and ironically, what we found was as a car company, most cities in the United States, they only had three weather stations. So they're, they're measuring rain precipitation at only three places in an entire city. Well, with cars now measuring it, the dimensionality of that data was exponential. How many cars are on the road? 5 million, 10 million, 15 million sensors. So the question then becomes, this is now surveillance capitalism. Does that automotive company have the ability to sell that data to, let's say, a weather company? Maybe it's the news station. Maybe it's IBM's weather channel. Maybe it's back to the government so that they could do research. Do they have the right to sell it? And more importantly, what part of that data do they have right to sell back? Do they have the right to sell who I am and where I'm driving? I would certainly hope commissioner is about to tell me absolutely not. Um, but do they have the ability to, way to strip out right. some of that PII data to say, hey, look, it's just the car and we don't know what car it is. At the end of the day, all we need is maybe a zip code or maybe a highway. And we need to know how much precipitation that car was seeing on its windshield. So that's a perfect example of this new surveillance capitalism where you have private companies like this car company saying, we should sell this data because we think it could benefit society, but there's a way of doing that that well is in their commissioner as well as doing it very poorly and unsecurely. That's essentially where the NPC <laughs> is helping to drive that regulation. Isn't it not, no? It's a, it's a very complex, uh, it's a very complex question, uh, Patrick, but good that you mentioned that because, uh, you mentioned some very important elements that we now consider, you know, that is happening, um, at the context that is happening all over. And, uh, the, you, you mentioned several factors like new technologies working, um, the use of AI, the use of uh, big data. But again, the principles of data privacy uh, will never go out of style because it's basically uh, preserving the human right of uh, privacy. But again, since you mentioned that here in the NPC, and uh, we have taken a risk-based approach in the implementation of, uh, or you know, in uh, in the implementation of uh, data privacy here in the Philippines, and you have mentioned again risks to new technologies. But let me say this, you know, the NPC, we, we are not the gatekeepers of what can or cannot be done in, in society. If we are that entity, then we'll probably be the most powerful agency here in the country. We are not. <laughs> we are technology neutral, right? We do not, we do not approve or blackball any technology. What we're here is to remind everyone about their responsibility, about accountability, about practices. Don't do unto others what you don't want to be done unto you. And that's why with, with the emerging uh, emergence of so many technologies now, the clarion call is uh, really to promote accountability, compliance, and the practice of ethics. Right, an ethical practice, digital ethics, I think, is very, very important. It's not only the law, because the law will always be it will always be behind technology development. You would agree with that, Patrick. Yeah. The law was created because it anticipated that development of you know the technology would bring, but that risks to to individuals. 
but we also recognize that these technologies would bring benefits. And so it's, it's really now, again, um, uh, if you're asking earlier, do they have the right to do that? Then probably what are they invoking when they start doing this? It's called probably legitimate interest. And that's also, that, that, that is also being considered under the law. It's the right of, uh, of a entrepreneur, for example, or of a business or your company under legitimate interest to process data. But again, that does not ensure that legitimate interest is, uh, it, it is not a get, get out of jail card uh, for, mm-hmm. for companies. It gives you that lawful criteria to process data, but personal data. But again, at the end of the day, as users of, of data, and you wield so much power, you must be responsible and accountable for your actions. I'm saying this because now, now in the age of AI, uh, machine learning, of robotics, but at the end of the day, uh, we remind developers that human, the human factor is still the primary actor behind AI. Mm-hmm. So companies must be reminded that accountability is expected from companies that develop AI or that uses AI in its technologies and that there are humans and there should be humans that will be responsible at the end of the day. Oh, I so love that. Legitimate interest. Yes, you can, you can invoke that. So, you know, and we try to keep uh, simple, uh, our concepts uh, simple, Patrick. There's got to be purpose, right? It's got to be a lawful and fair purpose, right? It's got to be clear necessity of doing it. Public good is the biggest driver, of course, of the use of, uh, of data. And balance. Balancing the rights of the individuals and balancing it with the rights of your company to process the data, right? So at the end of the day, again, it's purpose, necessity, and balance. And would it satisfy, again, one of the ethos, you know, and here in their country, uh, and I thought that here in the Asian region, this would really resonate to everybody, especially the companies that operate here in this milieu. Don't do unto others what you don't want to be done unto you. I think yes. that should be the first question. To shift to a slightly different topic, uh, I want to talk a little bit about something that was really important in 2016. This is the General Data Protection Regulation Initiative that I'm sure you heard coming out of the European Union. And as a technologist who is working on global technologies, GDPR, as it's sort of is the acronym of it, it hit a lot of technology companies quite hard because it was the first policy at a global level, even though it was designed for the EU, it was designed with such finite detail about what you could and could not do as a technology company in terms of a lot of how you manage data, data privacy, and a lot of the innovation that's supporting things like AI and machine learning. Can you maybe help us understand the similarities of what the NPC today is doing as it relates to the GDPR initiative? I'm sure there's quite a bit of alignment and similarities to both of those initiatives. Can you maybe tell us where there's alignment as well as maybe where there's some gaps and differentiations today for, for some of our technology folks out there in, in the audience. Well, well, Patrick, it's not a little bit of alignment. It's actually a huge alignment uh, with, the, with the GDPR. Yeah. <laughs> Our law, which was passed in 2012, is heavily informed by the General Data Protection Regulation or Rules or the GDPR that was approved in 2018. Although um, the privacy regime in the, in, the, in, the, in the EU has been there for the past five decades and we're coming in uh, late in the game, so to speak, you know, our our own uh, uh, law is itself uh, heavily informed by by the GDPR. If you want some numbers, I would say it's about eighty percent or seventy to eighty percent informed by the GDPR, which is a lot of similarities, and around twenty percent informed informed by the APEC uh, principles of privacy principles, a market driven approach. So they they said that uh, the GDPR is a right rights-based approach. APEC is more of a market-based approach. But I think two years in the, after the uh, start, well, uh, two years into the implementation of GDPR, um, it, is, it, is, uh, it has become clear that the GDPR is not there to stop the processing of data. It is not there, um, it was not uh, established to prevent 
the processing of personal data, nor prevent the transfer of data across uh, borders. It was not created to block attempts to uh, process data, but what it did was really to encourage the responsible and accountable use of data, especially for the public good. That is, in a nutshell, what the GDPR is all about. And that is also, in a nutshell, what the DPA, or our Data Privacy Act, is all about. There might be some, you know, uh, uh, differences in the way it's being implemented. For one, did you know that the DPA is well advanced in, uh, for example, uh, setting a data portability as a right? In 2012, we already enacted a very important provision, the aspect of what we call data portability, uh, meaning it's the right of every citizen of a data subject to be able to have uh, control over his data, request, for example, on a user and an entity or a controller to transfer the data to in, a, in, in, a, in a reasonable format, an acceptable format, to another uh, entity. And it was much as our law then was, was uh, predicated or modeled after the, the predecessor law of the GDPR, which is the EU Directive 95. It was only in 2018 that the EU actually included data portability. This is one aspect, just 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 an example. Yeah. Um, and also, again, um, they added a, you know, uh, they increased the administrative fine provision, uh, you know, the punitive provision of uh, the Privacy Act of Privacy Law, by adding uh, administrative fines um, that can be meted to airing companies, uh, and totaling to a maximum four percent of uh, gross annual turnover. You'll I see you nodding because, uh, you know, coming from the U.S., you have a special arrangement with the GDPR prior to that, and now with the Schrems II Declaration, it has really uh, cast another, you know, challenge uh, between the U.S. And, and the GDPR. But again, let me just uh, zero in uh, on the uh, very, very core concept here. The GDPR and the DPA did not prevent or prohibit uh, or block attempts to process data, but we're here to really clarify Right and provide the, a, uh, the companies right guidance on how to process it responsibly and with accountability. Yeah. And so that is that is uh, what, what uh, we we have been working. We have been working closely with our counterparts in the EU. Of course, there's a global privacy assembly. It's a 49 year old uh, association composed of 135 jurisdictions all over the world. Mm -hmm. The Philippines. We are the first Asian uh, jurisdiction that been elected as to have a voting seat in, in the GPA. Um, we're currently heading uh, one of the working groups there. So, you know, we, as, a, as a community, um, although there are, again, a, 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 I would say a patchwork of laws, different laws, uh, not only the GDPR, but uh, different laws now coming up, but the principles, are, I think, um, are, are, uh, are founded on the very same principles, observance of uh, the right to, to data privacy at the same time ensuring that data can be processed with it. You're listening to My Digital Impact. My Digital Impact. Certainly very proud of what we're doing here at the DPA. I think one really great example, Commissioner, if we could talk about is NPC's newest initiative on ASEAN cross-border tools to boost the Philippines' digital competitiveness. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that initiative and how, again, you talked about market-based here about what we're doing and, and why, you know, today is about smart cities. We're eventually going to talk about smart cities and data privacy, but this is how we stitch it together because at the end of the day, we, the Philippine citizens, want to be competitive not just in Southeast Asia, but really across the globe. We have so much wealth of resource, skill sets, capability, production here. And unless we get some of these policies in place and these partnerships with, with our peers across the globe, uh, we certainly are going to be handicapped by that. So can you tell us a little bit about the initiative that PNC is driving towards and how we will benefit from that as a country? Thank you, thank you Patrick, for that, uh, for that question. But really, the ambition is uh, for the country to produce uh, unicorns, more unicorns, uh, more uh, market leaders. I mean, Novari is probably there, uh, if not already there, but more Novari technologies, uh, more and, you know, really um, companies, Filipino uh, companies really uh, making a mark uh, globally. And we can only do that 
by uh, not by uh, creating a privacy bubble <laughs> in the Philippines, right? Not by creating barriers for data, but by creating or building bridges, right? I think that's the uh, that's the important uh, strategy that we have to take, right? So uh, again, it's not uh, we will we won't be able to do that by creating barriers, but uh, we will be able to achieve that by building bridges. The COVID-19, if there's any silver lining to this, this is a, you know, this is a time of what probably considered a great reset, right? We, we, our company, so your company would have a very huge chance now of really go, becoming really global mm-hmm. and uh, operate in hyperscale. Uh, but in my, my role in government is to be able to open windows of opportunities and build bridges where companies like yours can be uh, can be guided uh, to 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 be able to uh, maximize the opportunities available to us that's why we involve ourselves heavily in becoming a leader in the region through the ASEAN. Uh, there's a digital data, uh, di- digital governance uh, that's a larger initiative that the uh, ASEAN digital da- governance uh, uh, framework that, was, that have been uh, that has been approved by the ASEAN leaders. But a, a huge subset of that would be about data governance. And we, we organized also corollary to that was the, the organization of the ASEAN uh, Data Protection and Privacy Forum, of which again the Philippines were chosen to lead uh, this this new um, this new initiative uh, together with Singapore. So here in the ASEAN, we have we have ten uh, ASEAN member states, uh, three of which have prevailing our current uh, comprehensive data privacy laws. Others are just starting their journey. Uh, you're uh, talking, we're talking about Thailand and Indonesia and even, and even Vietnam. So again, so we, we are in, in the leadership uh, poll uh, in, this, in this category. In fact, in the, U, in the recent USAID report on digital uh, competitiveness, cybersecurity and data protection and privacy ranked number one. We, we rank number one in that, uh, in that aspect compared to our other, other neighbors. So we have to maximize this opportunity, uh, Patrick. You, you have to announce to your, to your partners, to your collaborators, even to your subcontractors, wherever they are, especially in the ASEAN, that we have set a high standard, high bar for data protection and privacy, that their data is safe with us. And I think that would be a very key uh, competitive advantage for the country moving forward. Absolutely. So we have, we, we, we are not the bystanders here. Uh, yes, we have a ringside seat uh, to, to this. Uh, to this aspect, but we have elected to be a leader. That's why we have to maintain that pole position at this point. And companies like uh, like, like like Novare and our our companies should seize this this opportunity and be able to maximize the uh, the again the the benefits of having a robust law of course, and a policy of openness, a policy that builds bridges and not barriers. I love that. That's especially segue into, before we end this segment, Commissioner, let's talk about a little bit about COVID and let's talk about openness and sharing. And again, using an analogy from the West right now, who's actually quite struggling with this, there's this over-politicization about whether or not vaccination digital passports should be allowed or not. And obviously the Western countries like the United States, they have a lot of, you know, arguments about civil liberties and, and the bill of rights about what you can and cannot share in terms of data. And they're, they're quite frankly struggling with that. And you see that because when you look at their vaccination rates right now, they're certainly, even though they have a no issue with supply from the demand side, they certainly have a lot slower down capability because of that over politicization. When we think about what's right for us here in the Philippines as it relates to maybe digital passports, opening up and enabling the economy, opening up our ability to reactivate the digital economy, small businesses by allowing us to flow safely, and the key word there being safely, uh, more through society and getting back to closer near normal-like conditions. What is your position both personally and professionally from an NPC about the ideas again about a vaccination passport being readily available to help monitor control contact tracing as well as mitigations of further outbreaks and 
and maintaining the safety of public health. How do you think we locally here should approach it? What is right for us to actually think about? Let me start by answering you, uh, by, by providing you this, this, this answer. Uh, when COVID started, it's very, it was very important for us to establish the posture, our own posture as a new regulator, as a regulator of, of personal data in this very unfamiliar pandemic or crisis. But if there is any, uh, again, as uh, looking at it strategically, and I thought, Patrick, that we have a better chance of beating this pandemic, of beating coronavirus, compared to the Spanish flu over 100 years ago, because we have two things with us working for us. It's data and technology, two aspects that were not present 100 years ago. So I thought that it will just be a matter of time or uh, we will be finally able to nail this, this, this one uh, and then beat this COVID-19 pandemic. So realizing that, uh, we thought that as a regulator, as a modern regulator, we took the posture of being an enabler and a protector during this time. And, and you know what? Our posture in the country as an enabler and a protector was also uh, taken up by the Global Privacy Assembly. We decided to adopt that posture. That really this is this unfamiliar crisis, again, uh, calls for agility, uh, calls for pragmatism, Right, and calls for again new relationships, uh, establishing new relationships even with working governments. Mm -hmm. uh, many of us, of course, we are an independent agency, right? Uh, but we also operate within the context of the milieu of a of a, of a government. So, so, so with that very clear role that we have, we have been providing guidance to everyone, asking for guidance, but generally um, to, to our stakeholders. And uh, just to segue a bit, you know, it's very clear again to us who our stakeholders are. Number one is the data set. Guys like you, Core, Paulette, Josh, mm -hmm. you're the number one stakeholder. Second would be companies, Novare, everything, everyone else out there telcos, hospitals, and schools, or now again, doubled or tripled their data processing uh, activities. Mm -hmm. and, and third is the global audience too, right? As a responsible jurisdiction, as a member of a global community of the, uh, promoting data privacy, they are our third doors. And finally, my, I have my audience here, <laughs> my, my NPC family here. <laughs> so, you know, pretty much, pretty much cut out. Mm -hmm. So as an enabler and protector, we thought that we have to be very clear again on how we will be enabling our government first to be able to respond to this. Mm -hmm. So, you, you made a very good introduction about probably how the issues in the United States. But, you know, one thing I've been emphasizing from day one, that public health and privacy are on the same side. Mm -hmm. They are on the same team, mm -hmm. right? It is not a zero-sum game where one has to sacrifice and give very away to another. Both objectives can be achieved. So meaning governments in its response or our government can trace, treat, or can test, trace, and treat the uh, uh, Filipinos cognizant of their rights as individuals, as a, as a state of subjects. So we are not here to prevent uh, government from uh, uh, doing T3 or PDITR, meaning prevent, detect, isolate, treat, and respond or rehabilitate, right? We are here to complement that effort because and we are here. We have issued 21 bulletins and guidance, uh, mm -hmm. Patrick. We, we go to our website. 21 guidance, different guidance for all the sectors, even now they're being used globally to provide clarity, that just to emphasize the fact that public health and privacy, they're on the same side. And we should strive again to uh, come up with a balance where so uh, both objectives can, can be achieved. So, you know, uh, the question of uh, digital passports and, and other digital solutions, let me be very clear. As a privacy commissioner and as a national privacy commission, we are all for the success of digital solutions. We want digital solutions to succeed. We want, if every Novari, I suppose, came up with products that can be used for the pandemic, by all means, we should come up with new innovation really to battle this unfamiliar pandemic. And we want you all to succeed.
But we have to remind you that for you to be to succeed in your products and services or introduction, that you have to be trusted. And these products and services have to be trusted by the citizens because you will have to be using the data from the citizens to be able to contribute to their pandemic responses. I mentioned this data and technology that will curb this pandemic. So if you are not if you if the citizens do not trust you, they will not provide you the data input that you need to be able to come up with your response or recommendations to curb the COVID-19. So we're here again to just to remind companies how, bet, how best they can be trusted. And that is about three things, only three things. Mm -hmm. It's about transparency, right? And second is having that clear legitimate purpose on why you are collecting the data. And third is proportionality. Sakto lang na Patrick. Just three things, but okay, three very, three very things. important things. Very, so, very important So things. whenever you, you, okay, we will go back to your initial question, uh, Patrick, as you said, was quite complex. But really, when you assess the, again, uh, a, 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 a privacy scenario like that, three things always. Do you have the purpose? Is it necessary? Right? And did you balance the rights vis-a-vis -vis the, the, the rights of individuals vis-a-vis -vis your objective? And are you being transparent? Again, going back, are you being, do you have that legitimate purpose? Are you being lawful and fair? And lastly, are you, uh, is that proportional? So the answer to many of the privacy uh, queries, we call it even the privacy panics, uh, <laughs> can be answered by the sets of guidelines. Are you being transparent? Do you have the legitimate purpose? And are you being proportional? And do you have the purpose, the necessity, and balance to, to process the data? Gosh, thank you for sharing, Commissioner. This this first segment, and we're still in our first <laughs> segment, folks, has been so clear and crisp, right? As, as I started off when we started this, let's demystify, right? I use that word quite prescribedly because I think when, as you said, Commissioner, when people read initially the word privacy, they think block, block, block. And that's not at all what the NPC is all about, right? Commissioner has been very clear about the three focus areas about how they guide, how they shape, right? And again, as a technologist, I'm a huge fanboy of the NPC because it's the guardrails I need to know how to do my job, which is innovate and make sure that what I innovate is actually, again, serving the greater good of society and the greater good of who I intended to actually design it for. So with that, I want to thank the commissioner for just our first segment. We're just getting started here, folks. <laughs> uh, before we take a deeper dive into the next conversation, let's take a quick break and let's hear a message from actually one of our partners. So we'll be right back, folks. RSA is at the forefront of significant social impact. RSA provides opportunities and networks for all those who share the vision to connect, engage, share ideas and expertise. By using proven change process, rigorous research and design skills, innovative ideas, platforms and wider RSA convening power combined, RSA delivers solutions for lasting change to build smarter cities. Email us at insidesales at mdi.net.ph and let's start building together. And we are back. Gosh, we are so lucky to have such wonderful partners. Thank you again for sponsoring. This is Patrick Manessis of MDI Navari Technologies. I'm still joined here by Man Laboro, the commissioner and chairman of NPC. Again, thank you so much for joining us today, commissioner. Earlier, you gave us a, such a great overview of NPC and really demystifying what data privacy and regulation is all about. But now I want to shift. Let's shift to talking a little bit about how important data and information is as we build out smart city and more importantly smart city initiatives and capabilities so maybe can you help us talk a little bit about the basics of data and information from a regulatory perspective as it relates to smart cities commissioner well thank you again uh, patrick for that question our country is transforming and it is transforming digitally right and i guess the biggest challenge for government for our government at this point is to provide the same quality of service that guys like you in the private sector are providing your customers. Don't you agree? Yeah, That's the biggest challenge for government. And, uh, you know, as uh, we have touched on it uh, earlier, but, uh, and, and these challenges, they can become political, right? Uh, for example, if we go down to one and one at the La Cruz, 
they, they cannot understand, for example, why they can easily withdraw money in the ATM system, in the network of uh, banks. Uh, just, uh, you know, uh, everything is so fast and convenient. And yet, they have to line up uh, for government services, and uh, right? And, um, uh, you know, to, to get uh, government services and products mm -hmm. from government. Yeah. So that's why government right now has no choice. And it is what it's doing is really digitalizing its way. Mm -hmm. and, and with that, again, and, and let me touch on the smart cities. Now that, uh, and part of that really is about how, how do you now govern in hyperscale where people's expectations are so high. Mm -hmm. So the learning curve has got to be really you know, uh, narrow because the consumer demand, the customer demand, or citizens demand, they cannot wait. Mm -hmm. So the, the the government is at the crossroads, so to speak. So we are, uh, and then he has to wield all the tools available to him to be able to provide better services to its citizens. And I go back to, again, data and ICT, mm -hmm. right? Data and the technology present, and, you know, the exciting technologies that are present is too good to be missed, right? And the government can afford to miss these opportunities. But overall, again, as we as we've been discussing earlier, data and technology are important. But you know, um, uh, utilizing or wielding both should be done in a matter in a in a in a milieu in a society that that in an environment that should be trusted. And this is where again we come in. Mm. That's why we always say that uh, the data privacy is a twenty first century law to address 21st century citizens' concerns, mm -hmm. right? So, um, and uh, if you're asking me, uh, are we ready uh, to for the, the smart city, uh, the concept of smart cities? It's yes and no. Yes, because then we have now the mechanism, the framework on how to protect data and how to protect our citizens. Mm -hmm. Right, we have the, the the trinity of laws in place. You have the the, the cyber crime prevention act of twenty twelve. We have the data privacy act of twenty ten. The third is the creation of the DICP. Mm -hmm. That erstwhile also created the cyber crime investigation coordinating center. Right. So why is this important? Because there are only two things that governments do, Patrick. Only two things: we provide and we protect. Mm -hmm. Right, so if you will see, for example, in basic education, you have the DepEd, you have the basic health, you go to the DOH, mm -hmm. basic social service, you have the DSW, and we protect. That's why we have the AFP, the PNP, and the legislature, legislature to do that. Government now has to be able to do that in a better way, and that can only be done through digitalization and becoming smarter. Mm -hmm. The challenge is to become smarter and to be trusted better. Mm -hmm. And that is where, I guess, uh, where the no comes in, yeah. right? Because we have to continue building the capacity to be able to wield both tools, data and technology, to provide better services, more innovative services and products to the citizens. But they have to be trusted to be able so that citizens can enjoy them. Mm. And this is where government has a lot of catching up to do. But we're getting there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because privacy, data protection... More than principles, more than human rights, they are. It is a skill. It is a skill that everyone should be, you know, uh, be be capacitated. Mm -hmm. right? And building the capacity of building, you know, uh, doing the, the uh, making sure to do the right things right. Again, it's it's a, it's a continuing uh, process. Mm -hmm. And by that, we are not talking about a generational thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, rearing, uh, uh, rearing digital natives, uh, you know, that are ethical, okay? Um, Industry-wise, we have to train our developers, right? Our software, like like you, the developers themselves, to, uh, to ethical practices so that, you know, whoever uh, contracts them, uh, you know, developers themselves could say, you know, uh, we don't think this is proper. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and this is where the smart cities again should be guided. But, uh, uh, yes, we are again. The smart cities is about uh, wielding these two very powerful tools, data and, and technology, for public good. 
And again, if you have to be guided by these uh, principles of of, uh, of privacy and uh, the ethics, uh, digital ethics, accountability, and compliance, and so we, we will we definitely be on our way. So with smart cities, you just have to define privacy in a different set. Yeah, like privacy is about maximizing the benefits of personal data, but at the same time preventing and mitigating risks attendant. Mm -hmm. So let's let's take a dive into that. I want to bring up a specific example. Again, uh, Commissioner said provide, protect, and he talked about skills. Let's take those three segments. There's an initiative that's well under there, and we've covered it in previous shows about the importance of a national ID system. And when we look outside of the Philippines and we look at places like, again, Singapore, they've been largely successful in creating their smart city initiatives because a national ID system was in place. In fact, me as an expat who lived in Singapore for three years, I had a national ID uh, identifier that enabled me to provide government services where I was getting my work visa. It was the same ID that I used to get a subway card. It was the same ID that I used for my digital wallet that I got from my bank account. And it was the same uh, digital ID that I used for government services when COVID hit and they wanted to track you know, my contact tracing and everything else. So national ID, at least, at the very least, Singapore has proven that out. And we here in the Philippines have started an initiative around national ID. Again, provide, provide a national ID, protect, protect that data, uh, protect its usage across the public and as well as the public sector. And then the last thing is skills, right? Skills. And, and Commissioner said something about skills that was very important to me because it's not just the skills of Patrick, the technologist, the social expat, Balak Bayan that came back. <laughs> no, it's also the skills of our Lolas and Lolos of, of older right. generations that are living, you know, in the provinces who may not be as, a, as, as well aware of technology language and technology concepts. We also have to educate them. All right. So one of the things I loved about the PNP, uh, NPC website, Commissioner, is your 30 ways to love yourself online. I love because it's that language. It's that simplicity of here's how you can operate in a new digital world and take care of yourself, whether you're Patrick or whether you're Patrick's Lolo or Lola, no? And so let's talk about the national ID system here. And maybe Commissioner, you can share your ideas about how important it is for us to adopt a national ID system as it relates to enabling smart cities. And then what can we do as citizens to, again, provide, protect, and upskill ourselves about the use of our national ID as we acquire those, as we evolve into a new digital uh, smart city ecosystem going okay. forward. Okay, Patrick, let me drill down to a very basic principle here. Yes, data privacy is a right, but identity too is a right. Mm -hmm. We are talking about two rights here, and they are not opposing rights. Mm -hmm. Always, data privacy and protection as a right must be viewed together with other rights. It's a fundamental human right, but it's not an absolute right. Mm -hmm. So we, we take cognizance of this. And we always, again, part of that balancing act is balancing it with other rights. Okay, uh, Patrick? So having said that, as I mentioned, data privacy, while it's a right, identity too is a right, specifically zeroing on digital identity. That's why we took a very proactive role in the development of the field side as an enabler. All right, again, not just a not just a, um, uh, as, a, as a regulator or as an enforcer, but we wore our hat as a leader in the, the development of the, of the national ID. You mentioned Singapore. There are around 80 other jurisdictions all over the world that have their national IDs. And, and you know what, Patrick? Out of the 80 plus uh, jurisdictions that have national IDs, they also have national privacy authorities too, protecting uh, this, uh, the, the, their, their IDs. So that is why we're here for. That is why uh, we have a, a, a national privacy commission again, so that entities and like especially government <clears throat> can come up with innovative ways to serve a citizen while being cognizant of protecting the rights of of, of, our, of our citizens. So <clears throat> you mentioned your lawless and lawless. So let me just include them again. Um, we, we uh, in, in this digital transformation, it's very important that nobody gets left behind. <laughs> we will only succeed in digital transformation. We can only claim that we have succeeded in extracting the benefits out of digital if nobody gets left behind. Mm -hmm. So that's why we are, again, uh, 
for promoting inclusivity uh, in 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 uh, in, uh, in our road to progress. And it's very difficult to do. Again, the challenge of a hyperscale environment, 110 million Filipinos, 7,000 distributed among 7,100 islands, not to mention the 10 other million more Filipinos abroad, uh, reaching out to them, connect, uh, you know, uh, connecting with them. Again, it's a very uh, huge challenge. So everything has to be done in, 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 in uh, scale. Smart cities, again, offers us a very, I think, distinct opportunity to be able to provide those products and services. But I will, again, go back. Mm -hmm. uh, to um, uh, the responsibility and accountability of government to be able to do that, right? So right now, uh, while we have the three basic laws, foundational policies in place, we still have to come up with another probably uh, additional uh, complementary policies like uh, like governing data, like a data governance law or data governance framework. I mentioned this for the very first time. Right. Um, naturally, we have focused uh, our attention in the uh, logistics of, of, of data, right? That the pipes, the pipelines, uh, the where they, where they would uh, uh, flow through. Right, we so we improved our connectivity. The ICT is doing just that. We have opened up competition again to improve services. So increasing bandwidth. I just just today just read that uh, there's acknowledgement now that uh, internet speeds are are increasing. Right, and th this is the logistics of data. Patrick, what we need now is the how do we decide on what to do with data? Mm -hmm. Right, how do we protect it? How do we actually share it? Mm -hmm. Right. So smart cities will only succeed again if government is finally interconnected. Uh, data is protected from end to end, meaning from once it's collected to the way, to its disposal. And then there's there's responsible sharing uh, going on, and full uh, citizens fully trusted that their data is secured in the hands in the hands of government. So we will go back to the skills factor here. Right, and we need the warm bodies, the skilled uh, warm bodies, those that will police or protect this data. Uh, policies uh, is very important. They are very important. We we try to our best to influence the policy, for example, on the FILSIS from original uh, uh, data points. Thirty two. They were asking for thirty four different data points that <laughs> they want to collect from citizens. It's reduced down to seven. I, I, again, right. So uh, what is important now is that. Privacy is now part of daily realities. Mm -hmm. Privacy is now part of daily conversation, even among policymakers. So we have to continue uh, coming up with good policies that will reinforce data privacy and protection. And this is where now that uh, it feels this ID system could be better trusted and where, again, um, uh, smart city uh, potential can be fully maximized. You're listening to My Digital Impact. My Digital Impact. As a technologist, you know, I'm quite bullish about the national ID system because, again, I can see, as, as I think and dream, right, as a technologist does, about new services, new innovation, new capabilities that I can enable with technology and using a national ID to, to elevate that customer experience or that citizen experience more clearly to be a lot easier and faster. You know, the idea of making sure I'm doing it the right way, making sure that I'm getting the right information from MCC about the governance of all that, as I think and evolve out these ideas is so very critical, right? They have to go hand in hand. I think earlier in our conversation, you talked about, you know, the regulatory is always going to be a little bit behind the technology. Let's, I'm hoping that here in the Philippines, it's not too far behind, but it's actually almost more closer to each other, uh, where if I'm coming up with ideas, right, I envision the NPC saying, hey, Patrick, what ideas do you have? Let's have a conversation so that as you're developing your capabilities, we can help drive the policies, the shaping of the governance around these new capabilities that we did not know existed yes, last year. Yes, yes right? Patrick, let me just mention this. And soon, and within the year, we'll be coming up with a policy, a circular on the regulatory sandboxing. 
mm-hmm. right? Again, uh, to afford, um, this is, will give the opportunity for companies, innovate, uh, innovators, innovation companies like yours mm-hmm. that come up with the services for public good, you know, where there are uh, clearly clear uh, promised benefits and probably un, unrealized risks, right? And, uh, you know, but the only way to test it does uh, provide the benefits as promised and uh, uh, while mitigating the risk will be to set uh, it to the market. Yeah. Uh, we'll be doing that. It's a regulatory sandbox approach. So it will be um, coming up with guidelines on that. So you can enroll your own innovation if you think that this could be better, the potentials could be better tested if it's released to the market sooner then we can consider that. So again, just uh, to, just to uh, emphasize that well, we're here to make sure that innovation uh, the, from ideation, right, to concept, to commercialization would also happen to benefit our businesses. But at the same time, again, uh, training and building the capacity of our technologists to put uh, data protection and privacy as an advantage and uh, as an aim, that, you know, aspirational aim for companies to develop. Yeah, absolutely. Let's give them, Commissioner, let's take a second to give the audience a little bit more of a sort of a layman's approach to that, because I think it's so important, that sandboxing idea, right? So let's talk about this. So as a technologist, let me share a personal story. So I use one of these, you know, smartwatches that takes (laughs) a lot of biometric information, right? And, you know, my smartwatch does a lot of things. In fact, Starbucks is hooked up to my smartwatch. So it actually knows when I order a Frappuccino and it'll send me a little promotion, right? So it's the, again, the surveillance capitalism. So I like that because it knows maybe when I'm stressed, it knows maybe when I, I want a p- propensity to have a Frappuccino, which is great data for me. And I'm all for sharing that information to a private company like Starbucks. But that same information, uh, guess what? I don't want that to go to my doctor because <laughs> he's going to yell at me that my, my, my cholesterol is going on. And I certainly don't want it to go to my health insurance provider who might use it to raise my rates. So this sandbox idea is a great way for companies that may be collecting biometrics to say, hey, Patrick may want to share information with some private companies and some public sector uh, organizations, but he may also want to prohibit their ability, others, to see it because of whatever personal reasons he has. And that's the whole idea of the sandbox, isn't it, commissioners, for companies like mine to say, here's how you can test out doing this for this, but not for that, and, and make sure that you're staying within the regulatory realm of what and how we want people to govern their data. Is that not what it really is all about you're, you're very correct patrick but uh, again you mentioned the mechanism that's precisely the mechanism uh, that we uh, that we can expect from our regulatory uh, sandbox policy but again to probably to laymanize it because here in the philippines sandbox is not too uh, popular right we would say what's the, what's the sandbox but <laughs> it's a regulatory pilot space if you want to call it right you want to pilot a project where there are promised benefits and quite unsure about risks right and uh, you know then then we can test it in an environment where Mm-hmm. There's guidance coming directly from the commission. At the end of the day, we want to develop competitive companies again. Probably we can, uh, a unicorn uh, can be born out of this, create more jobs. Isn't that, you know, a victory enough? It's the ultimate goal, right? At the, at the same time, come up with true uh, innovative and positive use cases where we can mitigate risk. So right now, I think this is laudable, uh, Patrick. You think companies like Avare would appreciate having such a a mechanism. <laughs> I wish I had it yesterday, to be honest with you. I'm so, I'm so excited about it, right? So it's, it's not a shortage of ideas that we have. We have so many ideas, but again, we want to do it safely and we want to do it the right way. Yeah, I know we're, we're running short on the commissioner's time. He's been super generous with us. I want to ask him one more question before we actually close this off. Uh, so much information shared today to absorb, but commissioner, if you could maybe go ahead and put your future forward thinking glasses on for us. Can you share with us some final thoughts about what we can come to expect from the NPC and what we can come to expect from this space within, let's say, the next 12 to 24 months. What what do you think we as a country should expect? How should we measure ourselves about doing the right thing as it comes to data privacy and protection over the course of the next 12 to 24 months? And, and more importantly, what are some of the key initiatives you think 
your office will be focused in on to make sure that we're keeping that momentum and keeping that right pace? What are the things that are on top of mind for you? Well, again, this will be the last question. Let me thank Patrick and the group for inviting me. But this is, I think, a very uh, fitting uh, question, right? First, I think we should focus really on getting and beating COVID-19. We're still in the uh, grip by this uh, pandemic. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have a better chance of beating this because we have data technology on our side, right? And uh, companies like uh, yours should not stop from uh, exploring innovation, innovative ways on how we can, uh, how government uh, and everyone else can better respond to this and put a stop or put an end to this uh, pandemic. And secondly, again, um, as we as we recover, of course, bringing the economy back, bringing the jobs back, that's that's very important. And this is, I guess, uh, the opportunity for me to uh, to say really the core of why there's a data practice. It's really to enable the businesses to compete in an environment where they could uh, really um, succeed uh, so that they can uh, create more jobs. And more jobs would mean uh, better social stability, achieving uh, social stability. And for so that the innovation process can continue. This is what data privacy is all about. It's enabling businesses to uh, create more jobs so that we achieve social uh, stability, so that innovation can continue. So that companies like you will continue to flourish, to be you know, in an environment where you can you wield the data in a responsible way with the new emerging exciting technologies better uh, you know, come up with new products and services for the public good and also uh, for the global market. So again, uh, you know, moving forward, I think these are the central aims that we can, um, that we need to address. And I think as a privacy authority, we are training, again, we wear different hats. Uh, we are a leader, we are a complaints handler, uh, we are a police officer, we use in a standard setter. So right now, uh, my wish is that we be able to wield these roles to be an effective enabler and protector during this time. Right, so we look at you as partners again, um, but you know we should expand and strengthen that relationship between the privacy authority and the companies that use data and technology. At the same time, weeding out those that who are willfully, deliberately, intentionally violating the law and uh, violating our citizens. So having said that, I think our our country rather will be able to uh, come out of this in a, uh, in a stronger fashion and be competitive. Uh, Gosh, I could not echo your sentiments more, Commissioner. I think it's absolutely critical for us to, you know, for for me as a Filipino, I'm quite uh, saddened by how uh, the majority of our society has sort of gone through this pandemic. And I look forward to really the bounce back. And as a technologist, uh, I look forward to enabling as much of that bounce back as possible. But more importantly, Commissioner, the importance of NPC and the work that you guys do as a technologist is so incredibly important for me uh, as a technology uh, innovator. Uh, we certainly can't do what we need to do to help society, improve society, uh, so whether it be services, whether it be keeping people safe, whether it be uh, just making their lives easier to deal uh, with this new digital life at the end of the day without the guidance and without the governance of the NPC. So with that, Commissioner, I want to thank you for uh, really your generosity of time. Uh, hopefully this is not the last conversation you and I have. I uh, I greatly enjoyed it and hopefully you'll be open to um, uh, talking more with me in the future. Maybe we can do something for NPC to continue the conversations and making sure people really understand the importance of data, data protection and data privacy. So Commissioner, any, any final, final words? before I go ahead and close out the show? Well, um, as a final word, uh, Patrick, we are in a historical conjuncture, right? Uh, we will forever, you know, and we, we are both fortunate and unfortunate to be in this time, but really fortunate because I, I thought we can, uh, all of us here, from Core to Paulette and Josh, we, we can all leave our mark during times like this, mm. right? Uh, we will forever remember this this period as uh, the 2021 uh, BC or before coronavirus and the 2021 AD or after the disease. Mm -hmm. But uh, we'll always uh, remember uh, the, how did we perform during this period? Did yeah. we become an enabler and a protector? 
at the same time uh, during this period. But I really look forward again uh, to our collaboration. Uh, you are in you are an innovation and innovative company and a leading company at that, and uh, you have a huge role to play, not only to your employees but to the society at large, uh, especially in this period. Thank you, Commissioner. For the audience, this is Sir Ramon Laboro, Commissioner and Chairman of the National Privacy Commission. And that's it for this episode of We Built the City, Reimagining Cities for a Smarter Future. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast to get updated new episodes. I'm Patrick Manessis, Chief Data and Analytics Officer. This is my digital impact. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe and take care. Bye-bye. RSA is proud to be a part of this podcast. RSA dreams to have a society where everyone is able to participate in creating a better future. RSA commits to create genuine positive impact in lives. RSA values working closely with clients and partners to shape, challenge, and to stimulate everyone to find better ways of thinking, acting, and delivering change. MBI Novare works together with RSA in the shared commitment of changing the way we all work together for a digital future. Email us at insidesales at mbi.net.ph and let's start working together. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.